0: Welcome to the Deeper You Go, the weirder it gets. I'm your host, Get Ready. So this episode is my first episode with another person. I talk with Safa, who just wrapped up a year-long Sama at Niwe Rao. We go into his origin story and how ayahuasca helped him overcome his long-term addictions. Safa is also the founder of Sacred Rebels, which is an addiction recovery retreat that has partnered with Niwe Rao. In addition to the retreat, Sacred Rebels has also started a permaculture initiative to produce food, not only for Niwe Rao, but also the surrounding local communities. This is a great episode, but before we start, I encourage you all to reach out with any questions you may have about my journey or, or anything I have discussed. If you would like to support the show, one of the easiest ways is to get you some podcast gear. I now have stickers, hats, mugs, t-shirts, and hoodies, and the link for the gear is in the show notes. I also have fermented herbal tonics and pine pollen tinctures available, so please email me for more details. And see, the pine pollen tinctures have been flying off the shelves, and for good reason. Testosterone in both men and women is at an all-time low, thanks to pesticides microplastics, tap water, a sedentary lifestyle, and even wacky modern ideology. And the result is that most people are overweight, unfocused, depressed, have minimal muscle mass, and almost zero sex drive. Not to mention, low testosterone is a major factor in why the masculine and feminine energies in our society are so out of whack and lacking harmony. So if you want to save yourself, save your relationship, and possibly even save the world get you some pine pollen and my pine pollen is made with the best ingredients possible raw uncracked pine pollen harvested in the pristine canadian wilderness and organic cane alcohol it doesn't get any cleaner than that and again if you're interested in purchasing these send me a message also i wrote a book actually i wrote it eight years ago The Self-Sabotage Guide, Nine Behaviors Preventing You from Becoming Stronger, Faster, and Sexier. I kind of wrote it and forgot about it. And it's a fitness book about overcoming resistance or your excuses. It's a very short read. It's only about 20 pages. But if you're interested, the link is in the show notes. Again, helps me out. Lastly, at the very least, if you enjoy this podcast, please like share subscribe and leave a review specifically if you're listening to this on the apple podcast app it's a simple gesture that really helps me out my email and instagram are located in the show notes oh one more thing before i forget the links to the sacred rebels website as well as their instagram page are also located in the show notes okay so let's get into the episode all right, so I'm here in the jungle, still at Niway Rao on my second trip, and I'm talking with Safa. He's a long-term dieter about to close his diet in two days and also the owner of a—what uh, what, what what are you doing out here?
1: Well, we are basically—we started a permaculture project um, with Ricardo Amaringo, the, the owner and founder of Niway Rao. And it's basically uh, 30 acres on the adjacent property that we just planned to kind of grow food, connect with community. And it eventually kind of led to the idea of doing small groups of, like, inpatient treatment, um, residential treatment for drug addicts, people who use drugs. mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So what, what made you decide to uh, focus on that demographic?
1: Yeah, well... I struggled with addiction for 16 years, primarily cocaine, alcohol, and opiates. And then eight years ago, I went to a holistic recovery treatment center. Yeah, and basically, I got cleaned up at a holistic recovery center, and psychedelics played a role in me wanting to get clean in the first place, and... um, Yeah, after like five years of drinking medicine and doing the work on myself, I got to an opportunity to come to Niwe Rao after the pandemic. And uh, the biggest problem I think I had was just as a person in recovery, working with psychedelics, like finding other people who were kind of doing the same thing, you know, because it's like I started in Narcotics Anonymous where it's like cannabis, mushrooms, ayahuasca or drugs Mm -hmm. you know it's like if you're using those substances you're using drugs
0: yeah they consider everything drugs everything's drugs yeah
1: you know and fair enough you know some people like if they smoke weed or they drink ayahuasca it could take them back into doing whatever they used to be addicted to Mm -hmm. you know so it's kind of teach their own but for me it was like I knew before I even went to treatment that psychedelic experiences actually really benefited me in a profound way Mm -hmm. you know and really like allowed me to connect with myself and get to know myself in a deeper way and helped me with my depression, you know, which was, like, really what caused me to go down into, like, problematic substance use, especially drinking and and cocaine and opiates. It was, like, I struggled with depression, struggled with chronic suicidal thoughts, so my solution was to drink and use drugs to kind of cope and escape and all that. So,
0: what What was the... uh... What was your first psychedelic experience, or that kind of showed you? Because did you always think of all drugs the same, or did you think like there's those the cocaine, the 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 marijuana, the, all yeah. that, and then there's like mushrooms and ayahuasca? Did you always have a separate between
1: those, or did you think they were all the same? You know, it's really weird. Like, I mean, I started smoking weed and drinking booze when I was pretty young, like you know, early teens, preteens, kind of thing. And, um, I had definitely, I'd done psychedelics throughout my teenage years, you know, Uh like eat mushrooms, (laughs) take acid, ecstasy pills, whatever, you know, drink, drink alcohol, go to a party kind of thing. But I never really did psychedelics to just, you know, do psychedelics. It was like always like to party or to escape or just something like that. And then once I got into cocaine and And alcohol and opiates, it was just, like, I never really thought about psychedelics again. And I just kind of was just, like, yeah, that's just something, like, you do when you're a teenager kind of thing. And uh, at, like, the lowest of lows in my life, like, I, I, like, ended up becoming, like, an intravenous drug user. And, like, I used needles to do drugs. Like, that's just how I used drugs for, like, the last four years of my addiction. And a friend of mine had sent me a vial of LSD, in uh 2014 and it was like, you know, Christmas day had showed up. My girlfriend was away working. I was living in this like remote kind of uh oil rig oil rig drilling town in northern um, British Columbia in Canada called Dawson Creek. Like the show? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of like the show. The same name, I think, but I'm not sure if it's the same place. Yeah. But it's just like a really small place, 5,000 people, like tiny, you know, and um the liquor store was closed. I couldn't get any drugs. I couldn't get any booze. And I just remembered, oh, yeah, I've got that vial of acid. So there was this little card that came with it that was like, pray, meditate, write a gratitude list, go for a walk in nature, um, picture what you want your life to be, like all this stuff. And I re- literally read it and like crumpled it up in the garbage, crumpled it up, through in the garbage. And was like, <laughs> what a bunch of fucking hippie bullshit. Yeah, was like, you know, 12 years on oil and gas drilling operations in Alberta, like I wasn't thinking about prayer and meditation, you know what I mean? It was like strippers, casinos, fast food, drugs, booze, and that was pretty much uh, yeah, it. Yeah, that's you know? a hard
0: lifestyle. Yeah.
1: So I was just like, yeah, what's it? It's probably not even going to do anything. And me being like an IV drug user, I just sucked the whole vial up into a syringe and I just injected it into my vein, <sighs> thinking like, <laughs> nah, nothing's probably going to happen, you know, whatever. Who knows if it, you know. And, and something happened for sure. Yeah. Like I remember like within a few minutes after I took the shot, I was just like, I, I, I got up and I was like, ran to the bathroom cause I actually got really scared. I thought, oh fuck, like, what did I do? Like, am I going to OD? Like, am I going to die? You know? And I remember like actually feeling my pupils like, a it's like they like, I felt them like dilate. And by the time I got to the bathroom, like my face hurt from smiling. Like I was like, just like hysterical (laughs) you know looking at myself in the mirror and I was like oh my god like I'm I'm in for a ride you know like what's gonna happen so I went to the living room and I laid down on the floor and I just got like totally blown apart man like the most intense like geometric shapes and patterns kaleidoscope visions I was seeing like Buddhist Sanskrit
0: Mm-hmm. like, Tibetan
1: Sanskrit, like, all these, like, pff, like coming coming down, like, just rain in my visions. And then I just heard this voice, and it was, like, a voice, like, a female voice. Nobody was with me. I was just totally by myself. And it was, like, you know, you. it was basically telling me, like, you've been polluting your body and you've been polluting your mind for all these years, and if you want to be happy and you want to know what happiness is, you need to stop drinking alcohol, stop doing drugs, stop eating fast food, stop basically doing all of these non-virtuous things in your life this is what's making you sick your work is making you sick Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um so the night went carried on and I remember just like putting on planet earth near the end and just watching this planet earth documentary in nature and you know I was just kind of was like wow like I really need to get my shit together you know like I'm tired of this like I'm tired of being a junkie tired of like working at a job that I hate and just like basically I lived paycheck to paycheck on 12 grand a month you know for 12 years Mm -hmm. because it was just like I'd go to work to get money to spend on drugs and like all these other self-destructive things like there was never any like plan for the future you know I never thought I was gonna live to see 25 let alone 37 that I am now yeah and then two days later I just like packed up all my shit and like told my girlfriend like I need to go to treatment and I moved back to Vancouver Island where I grew up and just started going to mental health and addictions saying like I'm a drug addict I'm using needles I'm using cocaine opiates you know fentanyl just started kind of coming out around that time and I was like I'm gonna die so I just yeah was like I need help and then uh yeah eventually I got to go to treatment took like six months yeah basically and the government wouldn't help me I applied for like government funding because I'd quit my job and long story short, they were like, if you want to get government funding, you need to apply for welfare and do all this stuff. And it didn't work. So I I gave up and I I went back to using actually like the the LSD experience, like definitely like halted it for a little while, Mm
0: -hmm. but it
1: wasn't enough to actually kind of keep me, keep me clean and keep me straight kind of thing. And then I went to a treatment center and um, the woman who was there, my first counselor, Jenny Mayer, she's passed away now, but She was basically all into like meditation, yoga, color therapy, Reiki, like all these different types of energetic work that I had never even heard of or thought of. And yeah, man, she was just super cool and super open to the idea of like exploring psychedelic therapy. And I told her the story about the LSD and she was kind of like, oh, did you know that the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous used to take LSD? there's like a whole chapter about it in the story of Bill Wilson. It's called Pass It On. It's like actual Alcoholics Anonymous literature. Yeah. One of the chapters, 22 or 23, he talks about his LSD experiences. And I was so blown away by that. And I was like, wow, that makes total sense, you know, because it actually did put things into perspective for me and really showed me like what loving myself could be and what loving myself would mean which I think is like what my biggest like problem was. Is was like, I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what spirituality was. And um, I think that's like a common thing for like, not just drug addicts and people who have like problems with substance use, but just in general, you know, like society as a whole is like kind of missing that and disconnected. So she was like, what are you gonna do when you leave treatment? And I was like, well, I'm really curious about ayahuasca specifically. And for six years before that experience, I was on like an email list to join ceremony Mm -hmm. and go to an ayahuasca ceremony. And there was like so many times throughout my addiction where I'd get the email saying, oh, there's a weekend of nights and, you know, Amazonian plant medicine meditation um, kind of thing. And I would send in my deposit and then I would be like, shit, like I can't pay my rent this month. Or like I, you know, end up like owing a dealer some money for drugs so I'd like message them and be like hey sorry I can't make it can you send me send me the deposit back you know and I kind of just like went back and forth with them for six years and then uh, I finally hit a point you know I think I was three years clean at this point where I was just like I was still so depressed you know still struggling with suicidal thoughts I hadn't touched alcohol or drugs for three years and I was like there's something not right you know and I had I had worked with mushrooms a little bit. I had worked with um, another counselor um, and would, like, kind of do integration work with him about my mushroom experiences and LSD experiences and stuff like that. But it just wasn't really... It wasn't enough, you know. The thoughts would come back, the grief would come back the trauma would kind of come back because it was just like I'd never actually really worked through it Mm -hmm. and then my first weekend of ayahuasca it just totally changed my life changed like changed everything in such a profound way that I was like okay this is the path that I'm gonna follow now yeah and I was like yeah five years ago
0: and from that experience did you no, you were going to take it this far like to eventually because your goal is to run ceremonies totally right? yeah
1: yeah now it is in the beginning like honestly I was I had no idea mm-hmm. and what I what I encountered actually was like when I started working with mushrooms and a little bit of LSD in my recovery you know it was the first time I actually came out about it was I had just finished like my third or fourth set of Narcotics Anonymous steps through this like book that they give you an na with all these questions about your addiction and stuff like that and my sponsor was like wow like this is such a profound you know set of steps like the answers to the questions and the the way you seem you seem like you're doing really good and then i kind of like had shared with him that i had taken you know a little bit of lsd Mm
0: -hmm. at,
1: at different periods you know like once a month kind of thing throughout the process and he was just like what like you used, you've been using this whole time. And I was like, well, not really. Like I'm working with a therapist and like, you know, I've been transparent about it. I just don't feel like I want to hide this from you. Cause it's like, obviously it's working. Right. Uh-huh. And so he, he totally was like, he was pissed. Right. And, yeah. And, um, kind of cut me off. And then once everybody else in the recovery community found out about it, they're like, Oh man, like you're using drugs. Da da So I lost like all my friends, you know?
0: Mm.
1: And that was really hard. And, um, once I started going to ayahuasca ceremony, I was like, I met a couple of other people in recovery and then I, and just, just the people, like everybody was like so nice and welcoming and, you know, the ceremonial aspect of it where it's like, you're kind of in community you're in a circle, you get to share intentions, you get to share what's going on for you. And then like just the level of help that I received from, um, the facilitator who held those ceremonies at the time and still does right now, uh, was just so amazing. You know, like I was like, I finally found community. So really as much as the ayahuasca and, you know, the medicine works to do what it does. It's like the facilitation is so important. And then the community is so important. So that's what it's really become more about for me is the community. And that was what really made me want to stay here was just like, I get to have community. Yeah. And I get to be around people who are working through
0: mm-hmm. their
1: difficulties and you know, and the more I'm there for people, the more they're there for me. And it's just kind of like this reciprocal thing that's been so amazing. Like I remember I think it was like after my tenth ceremony, I was like, Wow, like I finally found what I've been looking for my whole life. Like that emptiness and that hole of something missing was just like filled yeah. by like community and like the healing of working with ayahuasca. So yeah that was it that was kind of it.
0: Yeah man, that's a that's cool. Yeah the the community aspect is is uh, really important and and really powerful. I mean the I can feel it down here and then also where I work with uh, back home, mm-hmm. you know, every every time there's a weekend like everyone bonds very well and Totally. Like as you know you you drink ayahuasca with someone and you feel like I mean you you'll be bonded for the rest of your life with that person. You know, if you see that person in the, in the street or whatever, Mm -hmm. 20 years from down the road, you'll be like, Oh, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so that's cool. So, um, so what made you come to Niwe Rao?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like I knew about Niwe Rao, I think from just like Google searching during Mm my, like, you know, my, uh, like primary interest in ayahuasca I was kind of like oh man it would be so amazing to go to the Amazon you know and go and work with shamans and stuff like that and I, I didn't really know anything about it at the time I just watched like documentaries and read things online but I was really interested and then once I started sitting um, the person that I sit with back home he was like tell, he would always acknowledge Ricardo and mm-hmm. he would always acknowledge neway Rao and you know the Amazon and that he trained down here with Ricardo um, and Ricardo's former teacher and so I was always kind of like wow like yeah I gotta I gotta go meet Ricardo someday you know I gotta go to Niwe Rao like that's where I want to go and I kind of heard stories about people who went to different centers and you know and, you know really bad shit happens down here especially people oh, yeah. people who don't know what they're getting into or they don't know where they're going So I was kind of like, that was part of it for me. I was like, okay, this is a safe place. It was founded by a physician, Dr. Joe Taffer. And, um, you know, you just, everything that I read online and people that I talked to who had been here, like it's amazing, the quality of the work is amazing. Ricardo is like uh, an amazing maestro, an amazing person to um, diet with. And then I think it was like after my first dieta that I did in Canada, I was just kind of like, it changed my whole experience with the medicine, right? like completely, completely shifted the whole thing. And I was like, still like, you know, even with this spiritual experience that I described earlier with um, LSD, it was like, I still was kind of like, you know, spirituality and, you know, I I was skeptic. I no, was I was skeptical yeah. of it and like talking to plants and the plants teach you songs and all this. And I was just kind of <laughs> like, come on, guys, like, right, let's get real. You know, plants don't talk to you. Plants don't sing. It's so, you know, it felt very far fetched and kind of like over the top neo spiritual to me at the time. And then like after my first couple diets, like, it, you know, I experienced it. Yeah, You know, I experienced, like, hearing different frequencies, hearing different melodies. These, and I, I was actually really blown away by it. And then I got this, like, book of uh, Ricardo's songs that, like, Another Apprentice had uh, translated, mm-hmm. and the CDs, and I would listen to them, and I was like, wow, this is cool, like, you know, and it's slowly starting to learn the songs and learning th- what the words mean. And so I was just like, I got to get down anywhere way route. And then the pandemic hit. And for two years, like there were no flights. And then it came to the point where it was like, you have to be vaccinated to travel every time for like, I think it was like the last, the tail end of the pandemic, six months or so. Every time I booked a ticket down here, it would get canceled because like flights would get, you know, shut down or this could, you couldn't tr- go here. And then it was like, you need to get vaccinated. I was super against getting vaccinated. I was yeah. like, fuck that. I'm yeah. not getting a vaccine And then I got to a point where I was just like, man, I just don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in Canada. I want to get out of here. I need a break. Work was super stressful and chaotic. And working with drug addicts was getting to be too much. And I was like, I need some time for me to just like go and heal and like actually work on my own shit. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll get vaccinated. If it means I get to get out of here and go down to the jungle, I'll just do it. So I did. I was just like, whatever, I'll go get vaccinated. Fine. That's what I need to do. So Uh I did it. You know, which was a bummer because it's just like, I don't, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And, um, and then at the same time, I'm like, well, I mean, like I used to like shoot drugs out of random baggies. So, you know, <laughs> vaccine's probably not going to be that bad, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I was like, whatever. I kind of just bit the bullet and did it. It was fine. And, um, and I got down here and did my first month long dieta with Ohe. And I was just like, wow, what a great place. You know, it's like. Two years of the pandemic, we weren't really doing ceremonies back home. Most of the community and people, once again, had kind of just like been dismantled and unable to meet up and unable to have nights together. So I kind of like went through what I went through in Narcotics Anonymous when I lost my community there. And that was like, okay, the pandemic came and we're not having weekend gatherings anymore. We're not meeting once a month. We're not, you know. So I got down here and I was just like, wow, it's just like never never went. It's just like, there's four ceremonies a week, the weekend, there's always new people coming, people playing music, people being happy, talking about life, talking about real shit. And I was like, I just don't want to go home. I'm just going to stay. Yeah. So that's basically how it came to be and how it happened. And now I've been here for like 18 months.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so you're about ready couple days away from wrapping up a year-long diet yeah which is uh you know i'm i'm currently doing a year yeah diet and i'm four months in so i'm i'm definitely uh, <laughs> excited for you and uh feel jealous as well too because <laughs> you get to eat some food and have some fun here pretty soon yeah. yeah um let me ask you some questions about that uh what was the hardest part of the year-long diet
1: the hardest part of the year long diet was definitely, I mean, my situation was kind of unique, you know, like I have a tendency of to like bite off more than I can chew and like need to be busy and do all this stuff. And like I said, we started this project down here with Ricardo and got land and then we're like, okay, let's start a farm. and Let's do all this stuff. And then it was like, let's get a work visa. So, you know, during this diet, I mean, like you, you get to go home and and travel and stuff you know it's, it's hard right like yeah getting on a plane yeah you know it's the worst eat, you know there's it's restrictive like you know like the first six months of this diet I literally just ate fish and plantains mm-hmm. and like maybe the odd potato and maybe the odd like bowl of rice so like traveling and going places and having to do stuff and not eat what you you know not eat things you're not allowed to eat was like that was the hardest part yeah the food thing for me yeah I love food I eat super clean super healthy really love to work out go to the gym like you know we I built the little gym here at the center and so the first two months I was like going to the gym working out I'm like oh I'm gonna get cut up I'm just eating fish and plantains (laughs) this is gonna be good I'm gonna like look good and feel good and I just kind of hit a wall and was just like fuck I'm not gonna be able to sustain this for a whole year so I stopped and just stopping being active, and like really just having to like settle into the diet and be with the diet, and sitting in a hammock, you know, eight hours a day, studying Shapibo, and being mostly isolated. You know, I I, I spent a lot, quite a bit of time talking to people throughout the process, like other long-term dieters, studying, learning Shapibo, and then like introducing people to the project that we have going on here. So it was like. I definitely spent a lot of time in isolation, but I spent I spent time socializing as well and being social too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other hardest part is like being in a relationship. Like my girlfriend, McKenna, she's been here with me the whole time. She also did a year. And so it's like being in a relationship and being in a dieta where it's like, you know, you can't really be intimate in like sexual ways and like we don't sleep in the same bed. We, we sleep in separate houses. That was also really hard
0: yeah 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 that's tough but at least at least you guys are doing it together yeah I think like if you weren't (laughs) then it's almost impossible yeah that would be because then one person would have to just essentially follow all the restrictions (laughs) or at least the sexual restrictions but they get none of the benefit Mm -hmm. of like actually doing
1: exactly exactly yeah
0: so I do think you know I do think it's cool that you guys get to share this experience and then also um, run ceremony together because I've the, where I the people I work with back home it's a husband and wife team yeah and it's really cool to have the masculine and feminine dynamic in the room and ha- hearing those two different types of energies and those two different types of songs is really cool you know it's something I. Even miss down here, because down here you got the three male shamans who are all good. Yeah. But it's it's always cool to have some of that feminine energy in the room oh, sometimes. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. That's how it was with the people that I sit with back home too. Yeah. It was like the, the guy and then the woman and then I think one other guy. Yeah, one other guy. And then, uh, but yeah, having that balance. Yeah. Having that, you know, that softness and that feminine voice. Yeah. Yeah, whereas down here it's like with Ricardo and Miguel and Falacio, it's like, yeah, yeah, macho, as right. Ricardo would say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, when I first kind of once I experienced like what was going on, and once I started to learn more about what ayahuasca was and how it worked, and then I, uh, because the masculine and feminine dynamic became very uh, important to me. That's one of the things that's just kind of started to be a main focus of me. And I think eventually I'm going to try to figure out how to work with that more in the future because, um, our ideas of, especially in the States and probably in in Canada is the same too, but the ideas of like masculine and feminine have become so warped and distorted that like, that they're arguing with each other, that they fight with each other. And even, even sometimes just saying masculine and feminine can trigger people, Totally, you know, like that's how ridiculous it's gotten. So, um, I feel that it's a big problem in our society and we need to figure out how to kind of heal those ideas of what masculine energy is, what feminine energy is and how they work together. Totally.
1: Totally. Yeah. Totally. And,
0: and so anyway, hearing that in like a ceremonial space, when I experience that, I'm like, Oh, this is the best way in my opinion to run ceremony, especially a, a small, you know, more intimate style ceremony. Like, how you guys will probably run is, like, to have that dynamic and there's really yeah
1: optimal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, a key piece. I mean, especially, too, like, doing doing mix nights where there's, like, you know, male and female participants. Like, you know, I feel like you want to have the mix because it's important. Yeah. Like, you know, every, everybody wants to receive help, and it's nice for that, like, camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. So just,
0: what if... What are some of the biggest, like, insights you've had or takeaways that you've got from this year? Because, you know, that's what the year diet is about a lot of times, right? Is not only getting you clean, but also learning. Yeah. Learning about the medicine and, and what you
1: bring to the table. Totally. You know, it's crazy. Like, even after five years of drinking medicine, like, and coming down here, you know, I definitely came down here Moderately improved,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: in terms of just like my own self awareness, my own inner critic, and a lot of just like the baggage that I carried. You know, I came down with like really solid mentorship from the person who leads ceremony back home that I sit with, who's also a psychotherapist, who actually ended up kind of becoming more of a mentor. And so I'd done a lot of work on myself before coming down and was actually helping, working, supporting a lot of people. But I still really struggled struggled with my anger, you know, like, serious anger and, like, hatred towards, like, let's say government, authority, police, society, you know, just, like, really um, dealt with, like, a lot of heavy frustration, resentments towards my mom, resentments towards my dad, and most of all just, like, this deep self-hatred where I just, like, hated myself so much, you know, and just, like, I spent from pretty much the age of nine thinking about suicide every day, like, throughout my teenage years and my early adulthood, like, I thought about killing myself more than I thought about sex, you know, it was, like, really, seriously, I had, like, this really chronic um, diagnosis, like, they call, I think they call it, like, treatment refractory major depressive disorder now, where it's, like, I wouldn't respond to any conventional treatments like from the age of nine I was on all different kinds of medications until I was like 26 and I just stopped Uh and um working with ayahuasca and working with Ricardo and like having this much time down here to like really just be like okay it's me versus me you know and I was resistant in a lot to a lot of things you know like some of the ways ricardo teaches for instance it's like somebody made a comment one day about how the second most known thing about ricardo is that he's a shaman in the amazon and the first most known thing is that he triggers your daddy issues (laughs) you know so it's kind of like it's true. yeah. You know, like Ricardo even kind of looks like my dad yeah. a little bit, like from the side, if Ricardo's wearing his glasses, I'm like, fuck, he looks like my dad. And yeah. I didn't like that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, I'd get scolded sometimes for this, or you need to pay attention to this and that. And then I had this conversation with Ricardo one day and, you know, he was telling me, oh, you know, you're, you're covered in satanic energy. You've got all this, like all this stuff, you know, I'm like eight or nine months in to the diet I was like what what have I been doing here for a year and a half if I'm still covered in all this shit you know Mm -hmm. like I thought we were cleaning it I'm feeling better and so I got I got a little discouraged after that and then I had this like really big epiphany about just like how it's really all about my mind you know and really what controlling my mind means and controlling my emotions and controlling my reaction to things that I don't like Mm-hmm. You know, and really being able to like let go of like beating myself up, negative self talk, all of these things that I struggled with from you know my early childhood, you know my dad telling me you're a you're a fucking idiot, you're stupid, you know you didn't do this, you didn't pass this test, you know all these different things. And I carried that all throughout my whole life. Like I make a mistake, and I'd beat myself up for it for weeks, years, sometimes. Mm-hmm. So one of the best things that I got out of this diet was like really learning how to let go of all that shit. And then the other piece was just not giving a shit what people think, you know, because I really had that for a long time. Like, oh, I got to be a certain way. I've got to like, you know, make sure people like me, make sure people are happy with me, make sure I don't do anything to offend anybody. You know, I'm constantly always like, feeling like, oh, like, does that person not like me? Oh, did I say something to upset that for, like, you know, like, a lot of the time that I was here, right? Which, um, you know, I think also comes from, like, just my childhood, my childhood trauma of, like, feeling like I don't fit in and stuff like that. So I got to, like, work on a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. and, like, kind of get deeper into processing some of my own, like, personal baggage and shit. And then in terms of, like, working with the medicine... Man, it's just, it's endless. You know, like, it's endless. Like, I think it's, there's this, there's something, too, about being down here is, like, that's a lot different from working with the medicine in Canada. Because, like, where I drink medicine back home, like, you don't hear about Mahia Negra and black magic and witchcraft and satanic this and all, you know, like, it's a there's this cosmology and their way of doing things here that's, like, that's theirs, Not that I'm saying it's not real, but, like, I kind of got a little bit, it was a little bit of a, a bit of a shock, you know, coming down here and seeing how a lot of people who don't know anything about this, like, I was really fortunate, like, I had a really good mentor who, like, you know, kind of prepped me for coming down and was like, don't have conversations with people about black magic, don't have conversations with people about all this, like, attacks and, like, all this other, like, obscure shit that comes in and it's going to it's going to do this or this person's stealing your diet or, you know, there's always yeah. like a lot of weird stuff. So I was really lucky in that way. So, but I watched a lot of people really like just drink it up, you know, and stuck on like, ah, oh, I'm being attacked with my negra and this and that, not to discredit the person's experience, but it's like, it kind of just, that was one of the things that I feel like I really got good at navigating was just like, not having to feed into that story, not having to buy into that story and really focusing on just like staying connected with the plant, staying connected with the medicine. And when difficulty comes in to just like think about something funny. Mm. You know, I use humor a lot and the Shipibo people use humor a lot too. Like you'll hear them joking around, speaking to each other in Shipibo laughing and stuff like that. You know, who knows sometimes what they're talking about, Whatever it's funny. (laughs) But like bringing humor into it I think is one of the things that's helpful for me. And even when I opened the year, this the, the beginning of this diet. Like McKenna and I thought we were having a baby, and we ended up having a miscarriage at like week eight or something. It was really traumatic for both of us. And so, when we came back and we decided to open the diet, like we were both dealing with a lot of shit. And I was actually in a really dark place. Like I was feeling really, really miserable, really defeated, and. My first, like, three months of the diet, every single night I drank medicine, my intention, when I sat there and the cup was poured in front of me, I was just like, I just want to be scared. Like, just, I want to be absolutely terrified. Like, (laughs) let's see what you got, you know? And part of that motivation was, like, you know, my own pain, my own, like, suffering, my own, like, kind of patterns of just self-harm. So that this was a way to kind of, like, be like, okay, let's do harm to myself which is like kind of fucked up but actually what I got out of it was that I like developed this degree of fearlessness working with the medicine and like you know I'd see see scary stuff or see what maybe somebody would perceive as an attack or perceive as black magic and I would just be like oh you again woogie boogie boogie like oh you're boring (laughs) me you know I'd like just be kind of like totally numb to it not not affected by it yeah so in terms of like practice and learning to deal with navigating like darkness or bad trips or scary experiences working with ayahuasca, that was also like a really another powerful aspect of being down here for this long and dieting for this long. I don't even know I how many times I've been to ceremonies since I've been here a lot though, over a hundred for sure. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten a lot of experience in that. And I think that's been something that's been really helpful for me. And I've been able to kind of like help people navigate their different difficult experiences or you know, somebody's like, oh, I keep seeing all the scary stuff. And, you know, I'm just like, think about your plant. Think about your dieting. Think about your intentions, why you came here. Connect to whatever your higher power is. Call it God. Call it whatever. And think about things you're grateful for. And think about funny shit. Yeah. You know, think about something that makes you laugh. Think about something that's funny. Think about somebody you love and watch that stuff just go away. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, man, that's great advice. And I think it's, yeah, it's all about transforming that energy in there and that energy is neither created nor destroyed you can just you can take that dark energy you know have you ever heard of the seven hermetic principles
1: no let's hear it.
0: uh it's a it's a book called the Cabalion. okay you've probably heard of the uh the, the the most popular one is as above so below okay yeah so they're written by um well the, the books they're called written by they call three initiates i guess are like three anonymous writers and it's supposed to be these it was written in like the 1900s or something like that and uh, have you heard of thoth yeah yeah, yeah. so like it was, it was that egyptian god who right. uh, supposedly gave humans writing and mathematics and all that kind of stuff and so there are these seven principles that um basically just universal laws of how the 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 Universe Works, and I definitely recommend reading it. And I actually do a breakdown on my podcast of all seven of the uh, principles.
1: Okay, cool. I'll check that out.
0: Um, But one of them is called the uh, Law of Polarity. So basically it's saying that, like, opposites are the same thing. So, for example, like, hot and cold are the same thing on the spectrum. They're opposite ends of a spectrum we call temperature, and so, what you consider hot depends on your perspective, right? Like, forty-five degrees Fahrenheit might be cold if you compare that to ninety degrees Fahrenheit, but it's definitely warm compared to zero degrees Fahrenheit. So, the idea is you can move up and down the spectrum, and so, like, you—the th- idea is you think of anything of the opposite. Of it. So, like. If you're fearful, well, what's the opposite of fear? Maybe it's courage. So then the idea is you can transform the energy along that spectrum. And so that idea really changed my um, mind on how to navigate ayahuasca ceremonies. Because whatever I'm feeling, it's like, oh, I can just trans. It's, that's the same energy, right? So the scary energy is the same energy as courageous or or happy energy Mm -hmm. and so by focusing your mind and your will and your intention on the opposite on the end of the spectrum you want to go towards you can move along that way totally
1: Um, yeah well said and
0: there's another there's other good ones um i won't go through all of them but there's like um called the principle of rhythm and it's so it's like that there's always there's a natural rhythm To everything Mm -hmm. and cycles of life for example you got night and day so every that's a that's a daily cycle and then on a yearly cycle you've got summer spring winter fall and so you and then even the way a um energy like on a um energy is a wave which has positive peaks and low peaks and so you're always going to be moving up and down these cycles and so if you are experiencing it's kind of the same thing if you're experiencing negative energy eventually that cycle will flip like Mm -hmm. it has to flip yeah um it's it's a law of the universe but um and you can do things to make it flip sooner or just changing your perspective and then that negative aspect is no longer negative anymore yeah
1: absolutely yeah absolutely i can relate to that too like in terms of just dealing with my depression like There was this part of me that just always had this like knowing it's got to get better. Something's got to change at some point, you know. Despite Mm -hmm. wanting to like end my life and not exist and not be here, it was this there was always something there that was just like waiting for you know the the come up or the peak, the next peak to kind of arrive. So yeah, that's I really believe in that theory for sure. Yeah, and it was relative to like the medicine work and what we're doing. You know, it's kind of funny. I always have this joke. People would be like, "Oh, am I gonna?" have a bad trip and I'm like well you'll probably have like one or two good ones for every like four or six bad ones yeah (laughs) Yeah. seems to be that kind of pattern still to this day it's like have a couple awesome nights have a couple of nights where I'm like oh I wish I didn't drink medicine tonight you know they all end up being good yeah you know in the end oh yeah but it's like yeah navigating the peaks and valleys is key for sure
0: speaking of the negative cycles did you have moments of doubt
1: on the year oh diet? F- for sure <laughs> for sure yeah. for sure i had like i had i had kind of there was a there was a part where i kind of like i had a little bit of a falling out with ricardo mm-hmm. like early on not not super early on but i was kind of just like i was just kind of i was disappointed by a few things you know coming down here i was also really naive you know, I thought oh okay, this is this big center, it's like been doing really good for a long time. I'm gonna buy a chunk of land, build a house to live in, and then, you know, it was kind of just there's a lot of stuff I had no idea about. You know, getting into for one, just like being a foreigner, coming here, and not being able to speak Spanish, you know, deciding to do this and you know, um, I kind of hit a wall where I was just like, man, maybe this is the wrong choice. Maybe this isn't the right place. And when I came down here, I did like six months of smaller diets with Ricardo. First, Mm -hmm. I did like two weeks of this, a month of that, a month of this, two weeks of that, three weeks of this, you know, kind of thing. Just to kind of like get a feel for it and just kind of ease into the experience. And I was going through so much with the shift from moving to Canada to the Amazon that I was just like, I didn't want to jump into a year long diet or something. I knew I was going to do one here but I didn't want to jump into it. And, and I got to a point where I was just like, you know what, I don't, I don't think this is this is who I want to learn from. I, I don't think I can be at this place. I, I should look for somewhere else. And dude, like I searched high and low. Like I got on Google, I messaged people that I knew who drank at medicine at other places, other people I met in the ayahuasca community, looking for another place, looking for another teacher, watching documentaries about people drinking medicine at this place and that place. And they're everywhere down here, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find anybody that was like, they offer a year long diet. Yeah. I couldn't find, and I, every place that I emailed was like, Oh, typically, you know, we have people for three weeks or four weeks. And I think there was one or two places that did three months or six months. And I was just kind of like, okay, well, I don't know if that's going to work. And I don't know if I really want to risk going somewhere else when I know what happens to people where like they either get ripped off or women are being sexually assaulted or the living conditions are super poor or it's just like super surface level like you know the kind of like airy fairy song and dance ceremonies that are you know kind right of just you know and I was like really wanted to stay in this tradition really felt a strong connection to ricardo because of my other teacher in canada and so i just uh just decided to stay i was like you know what i made the choice to come here i bought a piece of land i'm just gonna try to make it work Mm -hmm. you know and then i opened my diet and i just this this diet the year and i just knew i was like i'm really glad i didn't leave i'm really glad i didn't go somewhere else And Ricardo has helped me so much with just everything. Like all of the things in my life that I thought I was just going to be stuck with forever. I actually feel like I've changed and improved as a person, you know, not just from him, but like his way of teaching is like, I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to help you with the energies. And then the rest is kind of up to you, you know? So I've, I made a decision to continue working with um, my mentor and then started working with another therapist and then started working with, like, other recovery modalities and different workbooks and different questions and things that I could kind of just, like, reflect on to kind of continue doing the deeper healing and getting more meaning out of my experiences. So I'm really grateful for that. That was one of the things that I really... I'm proud of myself for that. I didn't like, I didn't give up on this place and I didn't give up on myself. Yeah. And, you know, I hear people talk shit and say all oh, this, me way around this and me way around that and Ricardo's getting old or this or that and all this stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I, I, I just need to do this. I need to stay. I need to, you know, cause my whole life I've had this pattern of just like, stuff gets hard I'm like oh I'll give up on it move on to something else whether it's a job or a company I work for or a relationship or school or whatever it might be you know so I really just felt like if I don't do this and I don't stay and I don't commit to it and I don't try to make the best of it and I do leave and I go off to do something else I'm gonna live with it for the rest of my life that what could have happened if I had stayed what could have happened if I just held on and like put my ego to the side and the way I think things need to be Mm -hmm. and just accept it for what it is and just really follow the way he teaches and the way he wants us to learn because I felt right away like he always has his the best interest of the people who come here you know in his heart Mm -hmm. you know he's like he's really about helping people learn Mm -hmm. not only to like heal themselves but to be able to work with the medicine and help other people yeah you know which is a big part of the reason why I came down here and a big part of the reason why I decided to do a year-long diet is so that, you know, I eventually I can slowly start getting into more of a facilitative role, working with people in the recovery community primarily, which is gonna be my focus, you know, is like finding people like me that were open to psychedelics or using psychedelics that were seeking community and be able to be like, hey, we have community, you know, and I'm a person with lived experience. Yeah. Which doesn't... To me, I don't know anybody right now that serves ayahuasca that used to be a drug addict. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'd probably be drinking medicine with them if they had their shit together. Yeah. Know. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, what are some of the craziest things you've seen in all your time and all the ceremonies? Because I know it can get wild in there. It
1: can get wild, for <laughs> sure. For sure. I've seen some crazy... I've seen some crazy things like, you know, weird, just people, people really, people really have like demons, you know, it might not be in like the typical biblical sense of the devil and this and that, or maybe it is, but like, I've really seen and heard some weird shit go down in the Maloca, like the things people say, the sounds they make, like weird demonic sounds coming out of people like during their acaros or before in the before the acaro and like one example i can use is like my my na sponsor he took like an 11-year cake we drank medicine for his first time a few years ago and i was like man you got to come down to new A while i'm here come down he came down the medicine wasn't super strong for the first like week he was here and i always keep like a bottle of like fresh stuff in the fridge up at my place Mm -hmm. so in case we get like a week where it's kind of dull or like they don't have fresh Acruña, I just like go pull out the little reserve and like pour a little shot for myself and drink it Mm -hmm. and so he was like yeah man like do you think I could drink some of the medicine you're drinking and I was like yeah for sure just you know Mm -hmm. we'll we'll make sure that it's okay with Ricardo and probably yeah for sure if he wants to drink that he can so I served myself like 25 mils and I was like, "I'm just this is a good dose. I'm gonna just give you the same dose." And I asked um one of our friends uh, who he sits with back home, And uh, I was like, "How much does he usually drink?" And she was like, oh he's he he drinks quite a bit. You know, sometimes I'll have two or three cups in a night. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a good dose for him." And I was like, "You know what? I better just pour him a little bit less." So I poured him like twenty mils. I drank my twenty five. And about fifteen minutes in, all I could hear was, this is like weird grow growling groaning thing and I was like man who's that and I realized it was my buddy Mark and I was like shit I better go check on him and make sure he's okay because at one point the gargling had gotten so bad that I thought maybe he was like on his back and like asphyxiating on his purge you know like it actually sounded like he might be like choking on vomit Uh uh-huh (laughs) So I went over there and, you know, there, he was being supported and people were kind of checking on him, trying to, you know, blow Agua to Florida on him. And I was like, Mark, 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 Zafa, just no response, like nothing. Just like he was in another dimension altogether. And I was just like, I like checked his pulse and like his heart's fine. He's He's breathing. I was like, okay, he's just having, like, a bomba. You know, he's deep in in his experience. And so a couple weeks before he came down, he's like, yeah, man, like, I'm really excited to come down. He's like, and we were having this conversation about people who shit their pants. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it it doesn't really happen. Like, I've only seen it happen, like, one time. You know, this one time this one lady did kind of thing, but it's pretty rare. So anyways, like... I end up, like, going outside for a bit, and then I noticed one of the facilitators was waiting by the shower, and she was like, Safa um, and I was like, did Mark, did Mark poop his pants? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, can you go get him some, like, shorts and stuff? He's just having a shower now, and I was like, oh, shit, I felt bad, because I'm like, okay, I just, like, served this guy the, like, the mega strong brew from the fridge.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: he's going to be bummed. And I go, <laughs> and I get him the change of clothes, and I go and see him, and I'm like... Hey man, you doing okay? And he was just like, "Man, man." And I was like, "What, Mark? I'm like, do you pooped your pants?" He's like, "Safa, I didn't poop my pants. I fucking shit my pants." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn, dude, are you okay?" And he's like, "Man, like, yeah." And he ended up having like a really, really good night. Yeah. But it was just like, it was like he was he 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 was like he was in it. He was in it. And as still to this day, like I haven't seen anybody be in that state and be like completely unresponsive. Yeah. It was actually really scary and triggering for me, especially with like all the work that I've done with like overdose prevention and working with drug addicts on the street. Uh-huh. It was like, I was like, I was actually scared. I'm like, fuck man, like I brought this guy down here. What if he dies yeah. or something, you know, like what, that would be horrible he's one of my best friends in the whole world you know so I was like that was one of the craziest things that I've seen and one of the other things is just like people flailing you know like people flailing their arms around jumping around running around like it's rare that it happens but when it happens it's like actually sketchy because like you're in the Maloka, it's dark there's mats there's people everywhere yeah you know so it's kind of like You never know what's going to happen with ayahuasca. And then the other thing I think is just like back home in Canada, the people that I sit with, like it's very thoroughly screened. You know, like people who are coming to drink medicine, it's like there's a pretty good, you know, they have an idea of who's coming Mm and what they're going to be like and what they're going to be working with. Whereas down here, it's just like, You just like email the center and be like, I want to drink ayahuasca and come down and like anybody can come to, they could lie about drugs they were taking they could lie about medications they're taking, you know, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. So down here, it's like, there's definitely been like a small handful of people who came down that are like, should probably not drink ayahuasca that are need help, like maybe dri- ayahuasca at some point in their life right but like they need to do some other work first so that's just one of the things that I think I've seen down here that's been a little kind of crazy and sketchy in the maloca is like somebody drinking ayahuasca that shouldn't be drinking ayahuasca saying things and doing things in the Maloka or being inappropriate outside of the ceremony space and making you know Sexually ex- explicit comments to women or mm-hmm. others, you know Inappropriate behavior towards people that's like absolutely not tolerated here at all Yeah But it's just like that it even happens Because in my mind I'm like, well, I, uh, who does that?
0: Right you know, Who's going to
1: come here to a place like that and behave in that kind of way? You know, and how can we detect it before somebody like that comes mm-hmm. here? You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of, those are the main things I think
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Any, like, super funny stories they could think of? Well, I mean, I got... Like, you know, it was funny because McKenna and I were talking about funny stories. And it's like almost all of the funny stories involve, like, somebody pooping. Yeah. So if that's okay, I (laughs) can tell you another story about that. Let's do it. So I was facilitating for like a month because they just didn't have anybody and I was like in between opening diets and so I was just like whatever I'll, I'll help out so I was first responder with the other manager who was working at the time and there was one lady and I remember she crawled over to my mat at the door where I was first responder and she was like I need to go to the bathroom and I was like okay let's go she's like I can't walk and I was like okay so I like called the other person over who's working and I was like we're going to help carry you out put one arm around my neck and one arm around their neck and let's walk together slowly like one foot at a time so we get out the maloca and we get about halfway and this woman like poor woman like i don't know she's probably like late 40s 50s kind of thing super strong effect totally exhausted like just dropped down to her knees like kind of just like fell like a sack of bricks just down and we're like damn so we like pick her up we're like, come on, one foot in front of the other, put one foot in front of the other, and she's walking, walking, and then she falls again, and one of the security guards comes up behind her and, like, literally puts his arms underneath her arms and puts her in a full Nelson. <laughs> so he's got her hands, like, his, his hands behind her head, yeah, holding her up like this, and we're, like, we're trying to lay her down on the ground so that we're not, like, she's not going to, like, sprain an ankle or blow her knee out or something like that. And I was like, I didn't speak Spanish, so I'm trying to tell him to let her go. And I'm like, release, 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 like, you know, motioning with yeah. my hands, yeah. like, let her go. So, we, so as I'm saying this, like, she just like completely shits her pants. while well, she's like full Nelson by the security guard. Oh my god. <laughs> and, and we, like, lay her down, and we're, like, okay, just, like, breathe. It's going to be okay, da, da 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 And so that was, like, one of those situations that was, like, it was a bummer yeah. for, like, her and for us. And it was just such a weird, like, you know, I wish we could have gotten her to the bathroom, for one. And then I wish that we had a way to communicate with the guard so that, like, you know, for one, she didn't have to be, like, in that awkward position. <laughs> right. And then, you know, yeah, so that was pretty funny and then another funny kind of growth story was uh ricardo had this spiel for a while like when you're dieting a plant or you're dieting a tree especially trees like you can't purge because if you purge you're gonna purge out the medicine of what you're dieting uh-huh and so he'd had this whole thing of you have to drink your your purge you have to drink it like if you purge during ceremony you have to drink your purge he being serious yeah he was he was being totally serious. What? He was being totally serious. If you purge, especially like when you're drinking, for instance, I'll use the ayuma as an example. Yeah. If you're drinking ayuma and you go to ceremony that day, you've taken your plant and you purge. If you don't want to lose the ayuma that you drank, you have to drink your purge. Oh, my God. So we were all like, oh, that's disgusting. Like, we hope that never happens. And McKenna had like she didn't want to come to ceremony because she was like I don't want to purge out my diet like every time I drink ayahuasca I purge so I like basically can't drink medicine for my whole diet you know which like is kind of common too some people will diet and they won't drink medicine for the duration of their diet or will only come to ceremony once a month kind of thing and so she was like she ended up drinking like the tiniest bit of medicine she purged into her bucket and then I didn't know which she went outside and then I saw her later, and she was like, "Yeah, I drank. I drank my purge." Oh my god! And I was like, "What? Are you serious? You drank your purge? You got to be <laughs> kidding me!" And so we were like, "Whatever," high five, and like, "Good job," I guess. You know, it was kind of gnarly. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day, we were talking to like Miguel and Lizad and a couple of other of the Shapibo people who are living here, and we we're like, we we're t- telling them the story, and they were like, "What?" Like. why why would she drink her purge and we're like well ricardo told us we had to so anyways we had the conversation again in ceremony about like having to drink your purge and like ricardo just laughed and was like no you don't have to do that so she basically drank her purge for nothing thinking that like her diet was going to be messed up if she purged so that was like that was the other kind of like funny gross whoo that's
0: a that's hardcore
1: yeah yeah i'm glad
0: uh I'm glad that's not a thing. Yeah. Well, one, I'd have no more medicine <laughs> in me if that <laughs> were the case. Yeah. And, because I've been nonstop purging, and, oh, my God, I would not want to drink that at all. Oh, no. Drinking it,
1: drinking whatever you're dieting the first time is usually bad enough for them. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, the Shapibo people, people really like to party. There's been, like, some serious long parties here. Like, New Year starts on, like, the 29th and ends on like the seventh yeah you know like crazy festivities and loud loud like peruvian jungle techno i don't know what else to describe (laughs) it as but like so there's been that but yeah other than that it's been pretty mellow yeah things have things are good here things are safe here ricardo runs a pretty tight ship the facilitation's great yeah the people who are here generally coming to do long diets are great they've got experience Mm -hmm. so it's like it's it's good you don't get a whole lot of like i notice we don't get a whole lot of like you know tourism really it's like most of the people who come here kind of know somebody or have heard about this place and they like they choose to come here because they're really after the like traditional element and then also like the healing that ricardo provides and the diets that ricardo provides so in that way it's been pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's like this place is people kind of look for this place for a very specific reason and I've noticed that like there's a lot of other centers popping up on like Instagram that do a very good job of like promoting on Instagram. Totally. So like they're gain they're they're getting more of like the, the tourist type people. Cause I mean, they have these beautiful Instagram pages totally. and, and, you know, they clearly have hired someone to run it. And so like, they've, I feel like a lot of those places are, you know, if someone just wants to check out an ayahuasca place, they're going to go to one of these places they come across in their feed. And exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that this place is unique in a lot of reasons, but you know right now i mean i don't know what over half the room is long-term dieters yeah and so super interesting dynamic of a of ceremony energy right where you have a lot of very experienced people in the room and then you have Some new, brand new people. You have like such a crazy dynamic of people that are here, almost like a university. Yeah, I'm a year long student here, and then there's someone that just kind of showed up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's good, and I think like I think in some ways, I mean, I mean, it's great. There, like I was saying before, there aren't a whole lot of places that you can actually really go and learn and do a deep year long diet and receive the level of care and attention that you get working with ricardo and the other shamans and i think in some ways it it, it's i think it's hard for a lot of people who do just come here for a short two-week diet that don't maybe necessarily know that about this place and you know like people who are here for a two-week diet they want to talk they want to be social they want to get the most out of their experience they want to get a minute to get to know people and with dieting long-term dieting it's like you know it's not recommended or encouraged right. to speak with other people, which I think has like, it's really important in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, you know, not to be impacted by something somebody might say or other people's, you know, horror stories or war stories about life or their ceremonies. Um, but in a way that I noticed it's just, it kind of does, it does create a little bit of, of a divide, Yeah, you know, and it does give it a little bit of like a bit of a, uninclusive kind of feel, which I think can kind of be hard for some people.
0: Yeah, it definitely presents a little, you know, I mean, I think there's, it it is what it is type Mm -hmm. of a thing. I do think um, maybe this place at some point should put that out on the website. I don't know. I don't know, like, or at least kind of give newer people warning. Like when I came, I kind of knew what to expect, but it, it took me off guard a little bit, and then when I see like some newer people, sometimes they're really thrown off. Yeah. By it, you know, because they're just like, man, everyone here's so unfriendly, or this or that. Totally. And, you know, and I almost wonder if like if me Rao right around the website to be like, hey, this is this place is becoming more of a long term facility, but you know, new people are obviously welcome
1: yeah but just know that there might be some people that don't want to talk or I don't know yeah I mean it's it's tricky and you know I think I think this year in particular the amount of long-term dieters was kind of more of like it was kind of it was kind of a not a mistake I don't mean to say it in a bad way but like logistically and like in terms of business you know it makes more sense to have people coming for a shorter amount of time more frequently yeah, and then having more room in the Maloka. I mean, financially for Ricardo, right? you know, if he's getting new 15 or 10 new people every two weeks, it's better for him than having like the same nine people that are here for a year right, or whatever it might be, you know um, and then at the same time, you know, Ricardo's like wants there to be as many people as there can be. If somebody wants to come and do a six month diet or a year long diet, he wants that because, like, he wants people to learn. He wants right. people to be able to come here for that purpose. It was rad because there was a short, short period of time where he actually opened another maloka, and he put all of the long-term dieters in that maloka, so there would be more room in the main one, and then he would either come over and open the ceremony there and then go back and open the ceremony, the other maloka, and then all of the apprentices could just be in the big maloca or the other maloca by herself and be able to drink ayahuasca open bar style like the bottles there if Mm -hmm. you want to go up and have a second dose just go up pour for yourself drink sing songs which was amazing Mm -hmm. like we could be in there we could sing there was like you didn't have to be worried about the volume of your voice or how loud you're singing or oh i'm gonna bother this person yeah and then and that kind of started one because we could sing in the Maloka before, and then some people complained about people, apprentices singing too loud, and they didn't come here to sing, hear apprentices singing. They came here to hear the shaman sing. Fair enough. Uh-huh. Great, you know? And I think in terms of, like, there being long-term dieters here, and, they're, you know, we're learning to do this work, singing is a huge part of it. Right. Not being able to do that in the Maloka is a bummer. Um, so we'll see what happens kind of, moving forward but I think it's true that like there should be more information about you know if you're coming here for a shorter diet or a two-week diet this is what to expect yeah because it's tough when like you know dieters and people people are like oh hey you know you get here for your first time your people are excited they're stoked they're in the Amazon they're maybe drinking medicine for their first time and they wave to people or they go to talk to people and i oh sorry I can't talk to you yeah you know it's it's a bummer yeah Yeah. That's one thing that I like in this diet I did, I was a little bit more lenient on because like every Wednesday and every Sunday we're like, Hey, if you're interested in the permaculture project, come up, have a tour. We've got like all these different plants and trees and things that were growing. And then I would make a little bit of time to kind of like get to know the person and maybe answer some questions that they might have. And you know, for me in the recovery world, this is like meeting the newcomer is such a key piece, you know, especially new people to the medicine. So if you want them to feel welcome, you want them to feel safe, you want them to know that they're, you know, welcome to engage. So yeah, it's a tricky thing, I think, to kind of navigate. Yeah. Hopefully management will kind of gear up a little bit more around that. But we're slowly starting to move out. I close Friday. McKenna just closed. Um, A couple other people who are here, they're closed. They're gone now. And then I think the other people who are doing a year have, like, three months left. And I think uh, Mario, who's the current manager, his plan is to set it up so that there's only, like, two or three long-term dieters or people doing a year. Oh, so, wow. So that there isn't just, like, so much yeah. overlap. Yeah. So I think it'll kind of it'll balance out a little bit, mm-hmm. like, moving forward into the next year. It'll be more people coming for two weeks a month kind of thing. I think Ricardo also wants it that way. Like I said, it's more flow for him. Yeah. So. Well,
0: cool. We'll we'll start to wrap it up because it's getting uh, late, but is there, do you have,
1: like, is there information on your thing online? Yeah, um... We're going to be doing... we got a two-week permaculture and recovery retreat coming up October 7th to the 21st. Okay. And our website is sacredrebelsrecovery.com. And so people can go on, check out the website. There's a little section on group retreats, permaculture, inpatient treatment, a little bit about what we're doing here in the community. And we've got an Instagram, same thing. It's just at sacredrebelsrecovery. And, um... Yeah, anybody who's out there that's listening that um, has a past with drugs and alcohol and is working with psychedelics doesn't even just have to be ayahuasca. We're always looking to connect with people, build on the community that we do have, people who might know somebody who's struggling with problematic substance use that is seeking some treatment kind of outside of the normal conventional therapies in canada we're going to be offering a residential treatment program here starting november 1st for two to four people for three months at a time so people can contact us through the website or through instagram to ask questions about the program that we're offering what we're doing how it works why all that kind of stuff yeah sweet man thank you yeah thank you thanks for your time thanks for the show super super excited thank you